Welcome back to the Modern Cop Podcast. Back uh, just uh, in time for the beginning of the year. Just kidding, two weeks into it, but it's okay. You guys have been waiting for, I don't know, seven or eight weeks for me to push out another episode. Thank you for your patience. Uh, We had the holidays. Uh, My grandmother passed away on the 30th, and I got super sick. Uh, uh, My new weight loss program is to just get a viral infection because I lost 15 pounds in three days, Um, and my pants fit better which is always good. Uh, Joining me in studio, first in-studio guest in a while, I've got Mike. Mike is a state trooper paramedic here in Arizona. He's got a really unique position within the greater role of law enforcement. Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Mike and I have been sitting here chit-chatting for a little bit just before we we got started. I wanted to give him uh, a hot minute to, uh, to think about everybody's favorite icebreaker question because I have dropped it on people in the past just uh, just cold and they don't uh, tend to appreciate that very much uh, but before we get in to that two sponsors uh, uh, for today's episode big shout out to Mike Loop Mike Loop keeps your radio secure uh, find them over on Instagram TikTok uh, YouTube and of course MikeLoop.com uh, I myself have a couple Mike Loops mounted to a uh, uh, my plate carrier, and then my uh, sort of everyday wear vest. Uh, there's a joke in there about detectives actually doing work, uh, but I don't know what it is. Um, and then uh, also by Door Jam. Door Jam's the most versatile door control tool on the market. Uh, also, find Door Jam on social media, uh, specifically over on Instagram. Uh, and his other pet project, Black Talon uh, Gear, I believe. Um, got the magnetic hangers. Uh, both... Uh, uh, Mike Loop and Door Jam have been instrumental in uh, the last two Good Cops giveaways, and I uh, fully imagine that they will be uh, with me lockstep uh, as we continue the giveaway through the years. Mike Loop and Door Jam, thank you guys very much for your support. Mike, now that the intros are uh, are kind of out of the way, man, you were a, a firefighter for 15 and a half years. You've been with DPS for uh, for right around five years. Uh, but before we dive into uh, your really just badass career path uh, that I'm personally jealous of, I got to ask you, you can have a drink with anyone, living or dead. Who is it? And what are you drinking? Yeah, it's going to be uh, Joe Rogan. Okay. All right. Yeah. And whiskey. That's my drink of choice. Um, I'm not I'm not uh, prejudiced to any of them. Okay. But Equal opportunity whiskey yeah. drinker. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like whiskey. So, yeah, I picked Joe Rogan just because uh, he his reach. And I, I like his uh, multi-sided uh, approach to everything. That makes sense. He's, he, he, he talks to everybody. Yeah, and hey, I, pretty I diverse. That. And I think that's, you know, the way the world is these days. That's I think that's the best way to... Uh, find solutions to the problems of the world you yeah know, is to have views from both sides yeah absolutely so. there's a what's that saying if uh ever if you act like a hammer everything's a nail or something like that <laughs> correct so yes, exactly no i i can certainly appreciate joe rogan uh i mean especially me being a podcast host joe's like 
one of the OG podcast hosts. Yep. Um, and uh, and just the work that he does, and and even he, I mean, he gives gives shout outs to. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago. I feel I think he gave a shout out to a, a couple like police pages on Instagram. I think, um, uh, but at the same time, he'll go and talk to. I mean, he'll talk to cops, he'll talk to veterans, he'll talk to fucking Elon Musk and smoke weed with him in his studio, and he'll go and talk with, uh, you know, left and right politicians and authors and actors and actresses. And exactly. Everybody. I love that. I love that. And, I, you know, that's, that's the best way to uh, form your own opinions about the world. I think you can't, you can't uh, really believe in something unless you know both sides of the coin, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, you end up living like one of those uh, uh, tribes that shoot at airplanes with bows and arrows or some shit like that out in the the Pacific. Exactly. (laughs) You know, the other thing, too, is what I do. You know, I I feel incredibly lucky to do what I do. And, um, man, I just I don't think my unit gets enough recognition. I really don't for what we do. Um, And I'm not talking about me. I'm, I'm talking about like my whole thing is I want everybody to know how much my unit does the guys that I work with and look up to. I'm, I'm pretty much at the base. I'm at I'm at central air rescue. We have four bases in the state for air rescue. And, uh, I'm the unit, I'm the newest guy at my base. Um, and the stuff that these guys have done that I work with, it's insane. And people don't know about it. And I think the state of Arizona and I want other officers to know about what we do and, if I get a chance to get people to understand what we do, especially other officers, you know, it's, it's really helpful because we're a little bit different than the other law enforcement aircraft in the state, how we operate. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I've never, uh, I, yeah, I don't think I've, it's Ranger, right? Is yep. yeah. I've never worked with, uh, with Ranger. I've worked with Falcon a couple of times, um, just by the, the geographic nature worked with Firebird, uh, over with, uh, the guys with Phoenix, but, uh, but let's, Shoot, man! Why don't we just let's dive into it? And uh, in the process of of us uh, spinning a couple yarns, I think hopefully we will give your crews the recognition that they deserve because it's not well known, right? People look in the sky and see a police helicopter and they think, "Oh, it's just a ghetto bird out looking for people jumping fences or whatever the case may be." Uh, but again, your your agency's role within that, if you guys would call it a helicopter police helicopter community, is is different than that, right? With, with what you do. Um, but, uh, but before we jump into that, let's, let's build the foundation in the background. You were a firefighter for over 15 years. Um, you were a, a fire captain. What is it that took you into the, the world of wanting to be a first responder? So whatever it was as a kid, I, I always enjoyed helping people. Uh, you know, my father was, very big on doing service for our neighbors and things like that. And he kind of ingrained that in me growing up. Uh, You know, I grew up in Boy Scouts and church groups and stuff like that. But that was always something that resonated with me was helping people. Um, As I got older, started doing jobs. I figured out that I didn't like doing a lot of stuff. I just was not happy. If I wasn't out kind of feeling free, adventuring around, as a kid and having fun, I wasn't happy. I was so miserable when I started doing jobs, you know, I worked construction jobs and several other things when I turned 16 and I just, I didn't enjoy it. So I, I racked my brain a lot, uh, trying to figure out what I want to do with my career. And 
I had a few friends who, uh, her, their dads were firefighters. I, grew, I was born and raised in Mesa. So, um, a couple of my best buds, dads were firefighters for Mesa fire. And I spent all my time with their families and I saw the lives that they lived and, and, uh, they had good quality of life, you know? And I thought that kind of fits, you know, what I want to do. So I, I kind of narrowed it down at one point. It's either going to be, you know, firefighter, military, or cop. That's, that's it. And I, uh, the reason I chose firefighter is mostly because of the schedule. I liked all those days off. Right. I saw, I saw, <laughs> you know, it's like they work more hours technically because they work a 56 hour work week instead of a 40, but I didn't care. You know, it's like to have all those days off all the time. That was the quality of life I was looking for. So I went with the fire department <laughs> and, and it was, uh, I'm guessing with that, that initial agency that you worked for, that's where you got your, your medic certifications. Correct. Yes. Uh, I started ahead. in Vegas. Okay. Actually, or Southern Nevada. Okay. And, um, that's where I got hired first. You know, I actually finished high school out there. We moved out there before I graduated. So I got hired out there and then I got my paramedic in the fire department and everything like that. And then, uh, after I got married, uh, you know, wife, wife brought me out of Vegas. Really? Uh, you know, she didn't want to stay. We, we both didn't want to stay in Vegas, but she wanted to stay in the desert and she's from Virginia. She's like, I like the desert. I like the heat. <laughs> so I said, Hey, I, I, Grew up in the desert in a nice place. I brought her out to Arizona. She loved it. And we decided to move here and I got on the fire department out here. So And uh kind of the the rest is history. Now with your with your current role um as a state trooper medic and working in and around the helicopter, did you have a foundation in technical rescue at all as a firefighter or is that Yep. Okay. So over the years, you know, it's it's kinda like the police department. You know, you start with the basics and then uh, eventually you want something more than patrol. So you're looking for some, something to specialize in. So fire department's the same way. Um, you know, over time you get certified in several things. So I got into the more technical rescue, rope rescue, um, structural collapse, um, swift water rescue. And a lot in the fire department, a lot of these things encompass like certain units. Um, so you might be on a more specialty unit that encompasses all those things, but um, yeah, you end up getting a lot of, you can pretty much do anything that you want, um, whatever you're interested in. So I, I was very into the rescue work. That was my favorite, my favorite calls. So I, uh, I had a lot of those certifications and experience on calls with those things over the years. And what is it about the rescue work that to you was like, hell yeah, let's get after it. Um, the rescue work, uh, you, I don't know. It just makes you think everything's every call is always different, but, um, I don't know. I liked setting up the systems. It's more specialized. It's, it feels a little bit more elite, you know? Um, and it's, it's challenging, you know, and it puts you into the most high risk situations. Sure. You know, which I, I don't, it's just my happy place. So I like, I like being that environment. You know, I like being, the guy saying, Hey, I want to do that. Right. Well, and I, and I have to imagine that, I mean, you look at what, whatever 90 or 95 or whatever percentage of all calls for fire. Most fire departments are, are medical in nature, but you get somebody who's having a, a heart attack on top of a fucking mountain or down the bottom of a ravine or whatever there, that is an added element, right? There is now, a, there is now a challenge to that as opposed Absolutely. to walking in someone's living room. 
Absolutely. And that's a big portion of what we do. You know, if, if you're out hunting in the middle of nowhere and you start having a heart attack, guess what? You're not getting a standard medical helicopter. They can't land in the places that we can land. They're not trained or equipped to do that. And sometimes you're in the woods, like, you know, how are you going to get on a helicopter out of the woods? You're going to call us. Right. We're going to pick you up on a hoist or whatever, you know? So, and, uh, so 15 and a half years of, of being a firefighter, uh, you were a captain. Uh, I mean, by all accounts, just from that trajectory, Hey, four and a half years and then go off into the wilderness and retire and enjoy. Uh, what is it that prompted you to, uh, not just change career paths, but you had to go back through another Academy. Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, uh, well, I, I applied my experience as a, as a, firefighter and an instructor. I did, I helped with several academies over my career, um, as an RTO and, you know, luckily I kind of knew the game. I right. Knew, I knew how to go into it with a positive attitude and, and, you know, you got to look at it like, Hey, I'm going to get paid to work out. And I was 36 when I decided to switch, I was probably in the best shape of my life. Um, so physically I was there. Um, mentally I was there. I had supported my family and it, for me, it was like, I was always very interested in getting to aviation, technical rescue. And you just can't, there's not a lot of spots for that. It's probably one of the, you know, more rare uh, things that you can get into as a officer or a firefighter. And um, in Arizona, there is no, there wasn't, well, I didn't know of any units in the fire department that are 24 seven air rescue, even Phoenix fire. If they have a rescue, they staff, um, firebird. So one of the firebird helicopters is a rescue helicopter and then they'll pick up firefighters from one of the heavy rescue units, you know, but that's not their bread and butter. They're, Mm -hmm. they're, um, you know, they're doing a lot of other stuff. So I was really interested in a unit that that's what they did, you know? So I, I was unaware of AZDPS's unit because we just haven't done a good job in the past of getting ourselves out there. Um, and when I found out about it, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And it was perfect because, you know, I'm already in the retirement system and everything. I don't yeah. have to worry about, I looked at a lot of other units like LA County fire, LA city, and some of the bigger departments of California have full-time air rescue within the fire department umbrella, but you know, that's probably 15 years of seniority Mm -hmm. and switching States. It's, it was unreasonable. And, you know, so when I found out about DPS, I rescue, I, I was, uh, pretty much hooked full steam ahead, huh? full steam ahead. I mean, uh, a friend of mine who was an EMS battalion chief out of Gila river, she left to become a state trooper got an air rescue. I ran into her, you know, maybe a year or two after she'd left at the gym and asked her how it was going. And she told me about air rescue. So I said, I didn't even know that was a thing. She said, Hey, you should come work with us. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Just uh, that easy. Yeah. She's like, no, she's like, seriously. She was kind of like, it's weird. We don't have any medics in DPS right now. We don't have really anybody in medic school and we have like positions coming open soon. So I thought about it for a while and, um, you know, I'm like, my wife was like, Hey, maybe you should go do a ride along. Like stop talking about it and go see if you even like it. So I called him, Hey, can I do a ride along? Yeah. Did a ride along. And I came home like, yeah, I'm applying. 
I'm going to apply for DPS for state trooper and just roll with it, you know? And my wife was like, you worked your whole career to become a captain. You're going to give that up. You know? I'm like, yeah. you're the one who told me to go on a ride along. I, know, I think, I think secretly she was hoping that I was going to like get sick on the helicopter. Not what I uh, you know? Yeah. But, uh, it had an opposite effect. So yeah, I, uh, I just went for it, you know? And, um, it was crazy because I'm, you know, making really good money in the position I'm in. Incredibly happy with my department. Healer over fire, by the way, fantastic department. Um, and, uh, I loved it there. Family, they're truly my family. And, um, I was like, guys, I got to do this, man. It's like in my heart, you know, <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things I knew I'd regret if I didn't try. So I went for it and, uh, this was only a little over five years ago. Can you believe the starting pay for state trooper was $40,000? Yeah. Uh, the sad thing is, yes, I can believe it. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm doing it. You know, I'm more than cutting my pay in half. Uh-huh. But I'm like, I just, I have to do it. It was like, it was like a calling, you know? Well, and now, D, correct me if I'm wrong, DPS has corrected the whole pay scale we issue. We have had substantial pay increases. I Good. think. Yeah, I think you're like mid fifties into the academy, but like day one out of the academy, I think it's like sixty three and a half. Oh, that's a nice little bump. Hey, hey, yeah. with your graduation present, cha ching. Yeah. yeah, top out at ninety one. It's not bad. So, so uh, as far as state trooper paramedic, when you went through the process, did you apply as a state trooper paramedic, or did you apply as a state trooper? Or how yeah, did it work out? No guarantee to go to to air rescue at all. Okay, so I applied as a state trooper. We don't. There's no like. There's no. Uh, state trooper paramedic position to apply for, right? You, you get that once you, it's like an internal, once you're assigned to a paramedic spot. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's an internal. Correct. Um, we did just hire first, a couple of civilian medics. It's kind of a pilot program right now. It's pretty interesting, but, um, yeah. So I applied for state trooper and, um, I had, I had the help, you know, through the recruitment process of the air rescue unit I, at that point started making friends with them and, and kind of doing that. I treated it like I used to help with recruiting for the fire department. So I'm like, what advice would I give myself? Mm-hmm. You know? So <laughs> I, I just did that. I acted like I was trying to get hired on another fire department and, um, it, it went well for me. I got really lucky. So, and, uh, was it, uh, like, immediate hey graduation cool there's the helicopter yeah so how'd that work out um what happened was at first first off i tried to keep it a secret that one that i was you know coming from the fire department and that i was trying to go to air rescue the uh rtos early in the academy found out that i was a captain and they were not buying it at all <laughs> that I was that I was legitimately trying to become a state trooper. They thought that I was a shitbag who's you know got let go, forced to leave fire, and slipped through the cracks just looking for whatever job. And um, that was definitely not the case. But I just kind of rolled with it. You know, I, I didn't try to defend myself or anything. I just said, "No, sir, I'm I'm here to be a state trooper. That's all I want to do is just learn how to be a good cop and." Uh, they just, they weren't buying it. So I got my ass rode hard for about the first month. And, uh, then, uh, our lead RTO, uh, 
he uh, he grabbed me on the way out of the academy. He said, you know, Alan, get over here. Yes, sir. You know, and he's got his fingers in my face. You know, I'm going to name drop. Go for it. Rios. Oh, I remember him. Rios. <laughs> a lot of people know who he is. He's awesome, man. He's just, he's a hell of a good man. Um, at the time, he was the biggest asshole on the planet. But, um, yeah, he's he said, uh, he was like, don't lie to me. Don't you lie to me. He's like, did somebody tell you you're going to air rescue? And I was like, oh, shit. I said, sir, you know, I'm trying to go to air rescue. I was recruited by some air rescue guys, but I'm here to be a state trooper. Um, my hope is someday to go to air rescue, but that is my goal right now is just to focus on being a good cop. You know, he's like, okay. He's like, you better not be lying to me. Cause I'm going to find out. Uh, there's a guy who since left the agency, Dan Millen, who was helping me through the rec- recruitment process. He was our chief paramedic at DPS at the time. So him and, and Dan had gone to the Academy together. So he called Dan Dan's like, yeah, Mike, you know, Mike's a good guy. He scored away. Um, so then after that, it was like pretty much smooth sailing. They got off your case a little Although bit. Other than when the young kids in the class would get us in trouble, you know, that yeah. does, you know, but hey, it was just getting paid to work out. You know, you just, just roll with it. And uh, it, it was, it was quite a good experience all in all uh, after that. But um, what had happened was at some point during the academy, they decided there was a critical need for another medic in air rescue. Um, some positions had become vacant for whatever reason, and there was nobody to fill them. And so the aviation guys were like, hey, we have a medic that we recruited in the academy. All he wants to do is come to air rescue. And it went, all, you know, they're like, well, we'll run up the chain, went all the way up to Colonel Milstead at the time. And he was kind of like, so he's an experienced medic and he came here for air rescue and that's all he wants to do. He was like, yeah, makes sense to me. Assign him to air rescue, but he's (laughs) got a pass field training. So they didn't tell me. So this is kind of a funny little part of the story is at the end of the Academy DPS, they, they, they bring to the Academy a sheet to everybody signs up for where they want to be assigned to based on their academic ranks. So I've been busting my butt the whole Academy to have, you know, to be, at the top of the class so I could not get stuck up in four corners or something like that. You know? And uh, so where, I, where the hell is St. John's, Arizona? Right. Exactly. <laughs> that was my wife's biggest fear. You know, they're like, they're going to send you to like God knows where, and I'm not moving. You know, I said, it's going to be fine. So <laughs> they, uh, they had, I had put into, I wanted to go to Casa Grande. So I'd done some research and, I found out, you know, you can live in, in the metro area, still work Casa Grande, but Casa Grande doesn't, you know, when they do run racks, they're big, gnarly ones, but, yeah. but they get a lot of like, I want to do a lot of uh, interdiction sure. type stuff. So, um, that was a good, a good spot for me. So I knew I was getting my spot. So at the end of the Academy, when they came off and told everybody officially where they're going, they never called my name. In fact, they gave my spot to my, to my carpool mate. who was like 24th on the list in our class. He didn't even pick my spot. He, he knew he was getting sent up north, and he was pretty upset about it. But his dad was a state trooper. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was pretty bent. I'm like, your dad pulled strings, bro. <laughs> you took my spot. They, they didn't even assign me one, and now I'm just going to get whatever's left over. I was steaming. I, I had all these thoughts going through my head. They literally signed everybody, and our class sergeant walked out. And then uh, 
he came back in like a couple minutes later and he's like, Hey, whose name didn't I call? I forgot to call someone's name. And I'm like, okay, raise my hand awkwardly. And he's like, Oh yeah, Alan, you're going to air rescue. Hey, he goes, world you're assigned to Kingman air rescue. And then he like walks out. Like he kind of was just goofing, you know? And uh, of course all my classmates were like, what the fuck? dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> What did you do to get that? You know? I'm like, ah, I was stoked, man. Stoked. So they assigned me to Kingman Air Rescue Unit, and they just said, you know, you do field training in Metro South where you live, and as long as you pass, you're going to Air Rescue. And that was it for me. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And how long was field training? Three months. Three months, uh, and probably your entire focus that three months was, all right, just get me through just field training. Just smash it. I'm like, just I'm going to smash, gonna smash field, training. field training. Yeah, that was like my goal, right, just to crush it. And uh, let's let's treat this a little bit like recruiting for DPS. If anybody in my agency hears me say that, I apologize. But uh, you know, Mike's here. Yeah, so, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. What what does DPS field training look like? Because it's probably fairly similar to mine. But uh, I'm a city cop, and so we have these things called DVs that we have to go to. Yeah, and what this, is that? The, this this tall chapter of criminal law, Title Thirteen. <laughs> but there's this other chapter, Title Twenty Eight, which is traffic law. That even yeah. I look at it, and I'm like. I didn't know that was a law, right? But what, what does DPS all, all kidding aside, what does DPS, uh, FTO process look like? Yeah, I'm sure it's very similar. It's, you know, it's, uh, three to four months depending on your, um, uh, how well you catch on, <laughs> uh, and you go through three different, uh, FTOs every, every month or every little cycle you get switched to somebody new and, yeah, it's, it's the same. You're just you're running calls and uh, doing reports and learning the systems and the processes and uh, your field trainers guiding you through. And then, of course, it progresses. So by the third one, you're pretty much on your own. Mm-hmm. And then your last few weeks, your third base field trainer, just like a, he looks like a ride along street clothes type of thing. And he's just basically watching your back, making sure you're not screwing up. Um, but yeah, you're going through all that stuff, you know, you're going through title 28, 13. Um, what was cool about becoming a state trooper, man? I, I, uh, my personal opinion is like, I don't know why that we don't have more people want to be state troopers because the DV thing, you know, running all the DVs and crap. I'm like, as a state trooper, people think like, all we do is like run car X and like, it's like, no, that's not even close, you know? And it's, we're kind of like when, when there's not like car crashes and stuff, we're doing whatever we want. Right. Right. We're like hunting down shit bags, you know, and all these criminals have to travel. Right. And so you're just making stops, looking for ten forties, looking for drugs, looking for all this stuff. And they give us, you know, if you're a motivated trooper, you have a lot of a leeway to just get after it. You know, it's, I, I think it's pretty badass personally. State troopers do. So my, my academy class sergeant was a state trooper, uh, along with one of my RTOs. Uh, I, I remember RTO Rios, but he was not my RTO. He was like, uh, he was an instructor, right? Everybody knows Rios. Everybody right? knows because Rios. He, he's, uh, he's, he's loud. Yeah. And he, he <laughs> has high expectations, not just of his class, but every class. Right. And he, right. He makes that very clear. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was not fresh off of uh, FTO, but like, I want to say my first full year on the like full calendar year on the road, I was working graves. 
in the western part of the city where I work. And about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, if I was on a traffic stop, uh, I could almost guarantee the same state trooper to show up. And just because he was on, I, inevitably, there were two roads that ran east and west in my city that I would be pulling traffic on. And uh, the northern of these two roads, he lived off of. So on his way home, if I was on a stop, he'd always stop off and be like, hey, code four, all good, man. And I remember I'm sitting there just shooting the shit with him, chit-chatting. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm getting off. You know, it's my weekend, yada, yada, yada. And then I get a, I get a tone for like a, a burglary alarm or some shit like that. Just another <laughs> alarm call. And I was like, all right, dude, I got to go. And he goes, uh, he goes, who's going with you? And I kind of listened to the radio for a second in my earpiece. I'm like, it uh, doesn't sound like anybody's coming with me. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll check the MDC in the car. And I was like, no, nah, it's just me, man. And he was like, well, fuck it. I'll go with you. And he just, he got on his radio and was like, Hey, I'm gonna be out with, uh, with this dude helping him, uh, just, uh, keep an eye on him as backup officer. And I was like, well, shit, thanks dude. Um, I think the DPS, the, the interesting thing about DPS to me, I think almost more so than any other police agency, uh, or certainly, you know, more so than, than a city agency is when you're growing up and your teachers are telling you, you're not going to get paid to ever look out a window. Well, guess what I get paid to do? I, <laughs> I get to go drive within reason, right? You get to drive damn near wherever you want. As yep. long as you're in your, is it district or beat or how does it work? Yeah. It's uh, the district. The district. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, we, we'll go outside of them, uh, you know, over the borders sure. and stuff like that all the time. Uh, so. But you do have, and they're huge areas. Like just massive geographic areas. Yeah. For example, like Metro South, you know, runs your uh, Santan. You come from like I-10 and Riggs all the way to like 24th Street on I-10. And then up the 60 to the 202. And then now up to the 24. And then the, the uh, I believe the 202, Santan 202 all the way around through Gilbert. Right. And then pretty much everything in between. Sure. Right. So we used to jam up and down Country Club in Mesa and then 87 Arizona Avenue through Chandler. Yeah, yeah. And then cruise through Tempe making stops wherever, you know, cause yeah, you are a state agency, right? The world is your, is your playground. Right. Whereas like, I'm not supposed to go and make stops in another city. Uh, I've met officers that I've worked with that have gotten in a lot of trouble for repeatedly making stops in other cities, but you don't necessarily have those restrictions. And if, if Correct. you're like a, if you're if you're single or you're willing to to move or see a different part of the state, you really can absolutely go damn near wherever you want. It's that's what's awesome. We we had last academy we have a Phoenix PD officer lateral to us because uh, they wanted to move up to Utah. So well, there you go. They're right up there on the Arizona Strip. They got an assignment up there, um, and you know, uh, living up in that area. And so we have we have a handful of guys that live in St. George, Utah, or Mesquite, Nevada. Um, quite possibly, I don't know for sure, but you know Vegas. Uh, just because if you're assigned to those areas, that's the only place to live. Right. But right. that is your closest metropolitan area. Correct. Is in a different state. So yeah, we have. I know for sure a St. George squad has a quite a few guys that live in St. George or Mesquite, Nevada, and we have a few other places like that. You know, bordering around the state. So. It's it's pretty cool, um, for like guys who want to, you know, live in a smaller town in Arizona, things like that. It's it provides a good opportunity. The other thing too is if you're single, we have a remote duty housing, so DPS will put you in like a, a double wide trailer, like a two bedroom, three bath type of trailer. Mm -hmm. Cost you a hundred bucks a month, and you get a ten percent pay raise. Oh shit! 
So there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, you didn't have to bring an application, but I'm kidding. My wife would shoot me. <laughs> right. But there's, I mean, it's a good way, you know, guys will go do that for five years and they'll just stash what they would have been paying in a mortgage payment for five years and pay cash for a house. Right. At the end of five, so a pretty significant years. down payment. Huge. Right. Yeah. I mean, five years ago, cash. for Well, house. yeah, so, yeah. You know, in, in times past today, three and a half percent down, <laughs> <laughs> you know? but whatever, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a, thing about DPS is we're, we're like every other large law enforcement agency and then some, and I mean that because there's just those unique opportunities. Like you want to live in Sholo or you want to live in Yuma, you know, or do you want to have an opportunity for state housing or, you know, pick, pick the trade that you want to go into. You want to be a medic. You want to be a hazmat guy. You want to be, Bomb squad, we have all that stuff too, you know, SWAT and everything. Well, and your your state troopers, uh, your your guys' SWAT team is is the largest in the state or one of the largest in the states? I I would think that they should be. Uh, I know DPS is struggling right now, so you know, hopefully, I do a good job of promoting us because we we want laterals, a lot of laterals, especially in state, good guys from other agencies. Um, I know we'll take all of them that we can get right now. And then, uh, you know, I know law enforcement in general is struggling, but we're very short staffed right now. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but, um, without getting into all that, um, every unit in DPS is feeling it big time, especially our SWAT team and those guys, man, they're doing so much, so much with so little. Uh, they they don't have enough guys right now. So like right now they're I think they're half the size of what they should be. Ugh. But they're they're getting after it, man. And the one thing about DPS that uh, people got to remember is we support everybody else in the state, right? DPS serves as a liaison between feds and local uh, law enforcement on certain operations or like small agencies that don't have a SWAT team our SWAT team will go right. and help them serve warrants or whatever the case may be. So our, our SWAT guys are all over the place. They're, they're spread so thin, man. But some of the best dudes I ever met, they are working. They are putting in some work, those guys, man. So, Well, and I mean, like you said, man, you can go to be a state trooper and not just be the guy in the smoky that's writing tickets on the side of the road. There are, you can do that if that's what you want to do, right? Absolutely. Like which I, I tell city cops the same thing. If you want to be a motor, Go, go be a motor. I, we need motors. There's value there. But like, it, if you want to be DPS, you've got full-time SWAT. You've got full-time pilots, fixed wing and rotor wing, correct? Correct. Uh, you've got your um, your state trooper medics like you. you got uh, uh, hazmat is something I'm not yep. – I'm familiar with the concept of hazmat. I'm not familiar with DPS's role in hazmat. Yeah, we but, have a hazmat team. Okay. Full-blown hazmat team. So, And um, is there – do you guys have like a dive team or we don't have uh, dive? Uh, we just, we don't really cover to the counties. We don't cover any. Yeah. We don't cover any waterways. And in Arizona, the, uh, per the Arizona statutes, the primary responsibility for like search and rescue type activities is the sheriff's offices. Okay. So, um, they, they pretty much have all the dive teams for the most part and the fire departments, of course, but you know, you're not going to get, unless it's like a special request or something, you're not going to get Phoenix's, Phoenix fires dive team or Tempe's right. fire department's dive team, you know, up in 
Sholo right. or something like that, right? So the counties pretty much all have, all the sheriff's offices have search and rescue teams. Um, so, And what is, I mean, one, we'll get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of, of your job, but what is, uh, do you guys interface with the county search and rescue at all? Or are you guys Absolutely. just completely, okay. okay. I, I would say that they, you know, in a lot of respects, we couldn't do our job without them and they need us. Like we need them. They need us. Tell so, me about that. Uh, well, you know, like I said, uh, AZ DPS and the troopers were in a lot of our role is to support all the other agencies in the state. And so when it comes to air rescue, that's a huge one um, where most of our time is probably spent worth working with other agencies, you know? So, um, you got places like, you know, Coconino County Sheriff's Office, which we are with them a lot. And, you know, they're not going to go buy these $10 million helicopters. Sure. They don't have the budget for it. So that's where our partnership comes in, right? We provide the air assets and in a lot of ways they provide the ground support. Um, and in, we do have several, uh, of search and rescue team members in, in the sheriff's offices across state and fire departments who we certify to repel and, and do short hauls on our aircraft. And quite possibly in the future, we're going to have some who are going to be certified to, um, to do hoist operations with us as a rescue specialist. So, all right. That's where that partnership comes into play. So Okay. And there, you said there's four air bases for DPS. Where are those? So we have uh, Kingman, okay. Phoenix, based out of Deer Valley Airport, Tucson, and Flagstaff. Okay. All right. I wasn't, uh, Kingman is the one I wasn't sure of. I knew, I, I just was guessing. I was like Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, just sort of major metropolitan areas. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, out in Kingman as well. So when when I've worked with a helicopter, right, we'll take Mesa Falcon, for uh for an example uh or or phoenix firebird uh who am i talking to on the radio typically you're talking to the tfo okay and that's that tactical flight officer correct what is the and like you look at like mesa falcon with their 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 little bird i mean it's probably just those two dudes right or you know um but what kind of differences are we looking at between when people think police helicopter uh paint them a picture of, of the bird you're riding around. Okay. So day. yeah. Uh, when you typically think of a police helicopter, you're thinking of they're typically going to be a light single engine aircraft, you know? So, um, Mesa runs the MDs, Donald Douglas or the ghetto bird. People com- commonly refer to it as, uh, Phoenix runs a stars, um, which is, about the same size of our uh, Bell 407s, which we run Bell 407s and Bell 429s, which the 429 is a is a light aircraft, but it's bigger. It's a big, uh, it's a light twin engine aircraft. It's quite a bit larger than your A-Stars that Phoenix is running. And the uh, certainly much larger than Mesa's Ghetto Bird MD. Okay. Um, so. And so as far as like a, uh sizing is concerned like mesa's md you're not working on anybody in the back of that helicopter that is for those of you if you're if you're trying to figure out what that helicopter looks like um they the military would refer to them as little birds and if you've seen black hawk down the littlest of the two helicopters in that movie the one that like touches down grabs the pilot and then and then takes off the street again or it's dropping the rangers you know on rooftops that is this like mesa police department helicopter um Whereas 
the the A star to me, I would almost classify that as like if if you were trying to figure out okay, what else might it look like? Be like a news helicopter. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, it's the same aircraft. Same the, aircraft yeah. as as a news helicopter. Yep. But with your your four hundred seven and what was the other? Uh, four twenty nine. The four hundred seven and the four twenty nine. Uh, I, and I'm not trying to be an asshole. It'd be like a minivan of the helicopters. Like you got a lot of room to, for activities in the back of that. I, I would thing say or? the 429 is more like the okay. minivan, okay. like a high speed <laughs> minivan. Uh, the, uh, the 407 and the, um, uh, the A-Star can both be configured to have a, um, patient okay. and they're commonly used for air vac, like medical air vac stuff. Okay. Um, but they're, they're a smaller, they're just a smaller aircraft. I mean, like when you're, when it comes to law enforcement, you're not, you don't want to be out patrolling in like a twin right. engine aircraft. Right? You know, and I'm sure that like, the citizens of our fine metropolitan area don't want to just see a black Hawk circling. Correct. Overhead. Correct. <laughs> so. It's like, um, you know, it's like everyone understands the need for, um, patrol. Obviously it's, and it, let's be honest, like aviation is the future. It really is in a lot of aspects. So, but it's like, can you do that job with something that's a little bit more, economical sure yes and that's what you should be doing it right you know right (laughs) so that's where your your single engine aircraft comes in okay and and our 407 and the a stars and the mds that mason they're all awesome for law enforcement just your general law enforcement patrol and and things like that so but your your bigger platform essentially needs to be it would it be multi-role are you guys like if you're in the back of the of the helo do you sometimes, I do apologize, anybody listening in the background, the uh, uh, landscapers are, uh, are for the community are running their uh, riding mowers through <laughs> through the streets, They're doing drag after. races. They're getting after it. Uh, uh, one of these days, I'll move this whole operation into a commercial building and we won't have to worry about that shit anymore one day. Um, but are you going to be on board all the time, even if it's like, hey, we got a request, there's a pursuit going on, we got to get Long Island yes. pursuit. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, as far as law enforcement missions and helicopters, we are like the jack of all trades unit. Okay. So we can do, and we do, we do all those things. We do the patrol flights. We do the chases and the surveillance and all the things. Um, the way it manifests for us a lot of times is different. And this is where a lot of officers who are working the streets and even our own agency do not understand. They do not get why we're different or, and it, how it comes to back to us is a lot of times like air rescue doesn't care about us or they're lazy or they suck, you know, which fucking pisses us off <laughs> because they, they just don't understand how we operate. We're just different because we have, we wear so many hats, so many hats and um, we just operate differently because of, our operations, we can't be up in the air all the time. Uh, it's just impossible. You know, it's like we always say, like if DPS wants a law enforcement unit, they need to have a law enforcement aviation unit that's specific. And they, sh- in, in my opinion, they should have grown our agency that way. Our, our aviation unit is the same size as it was in the seventies. And by the way, we're one of the oldest aviation law enforcement units in the country. Oh, no kidding. Um, that's cool. ASU did a study that got us going uh, in 50, 58 or 59, and I think we were full-blown unit by 61. There's a couple that are older, you know, but we're one of the oldest. And we're, we're certainly one of the oldest that uh, law enforcement-based rescue units. But um, 
you know, like I said, in the seventies, you know, Arizona had like a million and a half people and we had four bases, five helicopters and probably more staffing than we have today. <laughs> and, you know, today it's like the demand is insane. We have eight, seven and a half million people. Right. Um, we still are air rescue program that often is being demanded to do lots more law enforcement. It's like, um, probably should have grown this unit with the state and the call volume, you know? And so and that makes it split tough. the roles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the roles should be split because we do so much of both now that it's, in my opinion, we can't do all of it effectively. You know what I mean? So we do a pretty damn good job overall, but hopefully we'll get into more stuff to help all the officers understand why, you know, we don't seem as effective when they call us. Cause they call us when there's like no other option. Right. Right. It's Glendale Tempe Chandler at three 30 in the morning when Falcon and Firebird are both down. Well, is Ranger available? Yeah, we're available cause we're 24 seven, but we're in quarters. We we're, we're like the fire department. We're waiting for the phone to ring. And so it takes us time to spool up. And so it's like, if you got a runner, right. And you call Falcon, boom, they're right there or Firebird. For us, it's taking us 30, 35, 45 minutes. If you get lazy on a perimeter, you don't have a perimeter set up very well, you know, which a lot of times is the case. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of places people can slip through the cracks. Oh, we, yeah. We have all the same. See it all the time. We have all the same tools. We have the FLIR. We have all that stuff. Um, but we're just, we're always late to the game when it comes to that stuff because of how we operate. And we, we just can't be in the air all the time. So, because we need rest, we have to go to these rescues that are very intense. We're going all over the state, even into other states sometimes for rescues. So, um, that that's where it's different. It's like we can't, I can't support a law enforcement mission on the four corners if I'm in the air 24 7 in Metro. Right. Right. So, like, we have to be back in quarters and we're waiting for those calls. Like, where, where are we needed in the state? You know, a lot of times we're flying for an hour and 20 minutes stop for fuel and then fly for a little bit longer before we can get on scene. So just totally different operations. So that's, that's uh, part of the reason why, you know, we get these like, Oh, Ranger, they suck. You know, guys will say the stupidest stuff. It's like, it's just ignorance. They just don't know why, you know, it's like, man, got in a police chase and uh, you waited till the guy bailed. And then you looked for him for 20 minutes and then you called us. It mm -hmm. took us 20 minutes to even get in the air. Another 30 minutes to get here. So we're like an hour and a half, two hours into a call. It's like, you know how far you can walk in two miles. Now you want me to search every direction that far. It's like, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. It is just one platform, right? With yeah. It's like, where do you want me to look? Have you ever ridden in a helicopter and had a view from up here? It's like, you know, or they'll, they'll call us, you know, 30 minutes after a 1040 runs from them, but they didn't pursue it. Because of policy. Yeah, last saw him at uh, Higley in Guadalupe 30 minutes ago, uh, a white Honda. Like, <laughs> super. <laughs> it's like, what do you want me to do with that, man? I, I can see like 5 billion white sedans up here. In, in 30 minutes, how can how far can you go? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's not happening. Especially when you're in a vehicle. You're like, well, Ranger sucks. They can't find anybody. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, cut us some slack, guys. We're just different. We're not, we're different than Falcon. We're different than, than uh, Firebird. Now, we love law enforcement missions, and we want to go on them. We want to do the patrols and, and all that. 
but we want people to understand what we're working with here. You know, in, in reality, we, I'm sure the future at some point is going to provide changes, but that's how we are right now. Sure. Sure. When you're in those more traditional law enforcement roles, before we really dive into the, to the, the SAR aspect of things, are you, I mean, are you in back with like a, with, with the FLIR or is that the TFO and you're just looking out the window with a pair of binoculars? Like how's. Yeah. So real quick, like every, every, uh, to get on our helicopter, you either have to be a pilot or a paramedic. Okay. So every paramedic, uh, with exception of a couple new guys is a state trooper. And all of us are TFOs, all of us are rescue specialists, all of us are systems operators. So we're wearing a lot of hats. So basically what typically happens is we're a three-man crew, two, two trooper medics and a pilot. we got uh, one of us uh, sits up front as the TFO and one of us is in the back. So uh, whoever's the TFO for the day is running the camera and the flare. Okay. And then, you know, if we need to run a spotlight and the flare, then, you know, the back, the backseat guy can run a spotlight. Pilot can run the spotlight. Just depends. So, um, uh, yeah. Got your lawnmower guy. Oh yeah. He's like right out front of the house. Right <laughs> yeah. <now. Ring. laughs> Who, uh, well, you guys draw straws. Is it what you, yeah. so you're, you're, you're in quarters. You say you're more like a fire truck or like a fire department. What yep. is the schedule of like DPS's area unit? Yeah, we work 24 hour shifts. 24 hour shifts. Is yep. it 24 on, 24 off, or how's nope. it? No, it's it's random. So um, the rules for our shift is um, if you work a 24 hour shift, you have to have 24 hours off. Okay. Okay. So then you can work another 24 hour shift. But if you do that, if you're a 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, then you have to have 48 hours off. Okay. So you can do 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 48 off, 24 on, and then it can repeat. So um, that's that's the only rule it has to follow. But we don't have, like, set crews. So, like, you know, one month I could work uh, with certain people on a certain pattern, and the next month would be totally different. Okay. Does that make sense? So we usually have our schedule two or three months in advance, and um, – it's just, it's totally random, but we're always off for at least a day after we've worked a shift. Okay. So, and, the, and I mean, you say you're not, you're not working with the same crews, but are there, I, I imagine that, that just like when I was working patrol, there are, uh, crews that, uh, or, or like dudes you get, you end up going to work with and you're like, you know, each other's thoughts or, oh, or, yeah. or that there's, then there's other dudes where you're like, I know you can, I know you know how to do this job, but I've never <laughs> fucking worked with you and I don't really know who you are. Yeah. We don't have any of that. Okay. We're too small of a unit. Um, you know, I mean in the, in the whole state, all four bases, we're, you know, basically roughly 20 pounds, 20 minutes, but it's, it's not exactly broken up that way. I'm just throwing that number out there for air rescue. We're around, we sit around 40 people okay. ish. So, um, like in Phoenix where we have like six medics right now. So there's only six of us and there's four pilots. How many would you like to have? <laughs> yeah, we need what, we, what we really need is two medics for every, every one pilot. Um, so we need, uh, we need four or five, you know, four pilots in Phoenix and eight medics. That would, that would get us pretty well staffed. Of course, you know, our aircraft going to maintenance for two days every two weeks. And then, uh, so those are our days that we're not up. So mm -hmm. like Tucson and Flagstaff would be up those days. Okay. Right. Um, so. And we, so, and, and just to clarify for the, for the listeners, 
with with when Phoenix is down, Tucson and Flagstaff are up. When a Phoenix Metro agency calls for a Ranger, one of these helicopters from about two hours ish, well, drive time, two hours, two, yeah. three hours away. <laughs> what does it look like for flight time? Yeah, Flagstaff's about 35, 40 minutes. Okay, or so. not too bad. Yeah, same, same with uh, Tucson's a little bit. Uh, yeah, about the same. But uh, you're looking at probably an hour by the time the crew gets the helicopter in the air, you know, and then depending on if they need to get fuel once they get here, depending on the operation. So most of the time when that happens, which we, we try to keep central air rescue up the most. Um, but if that does happen, usually it's like, Hey, we're, we're going to be like an hour before we get there. And they're like, Oh, okay. You can cancel. Right. Or we'll try something else because that's not feasible. <clears throat> but all of us air rescue units fly long distances for law enforcement operations, you know, uh, just depending on the need of the, of the, of whatever agency in the state, you know, what is the longest that you've been up? I mean, I know you got to stop for fuel, but like, what is yeah. the farthest distance you've had to go? Um, probably, you know, up to like, like Powell okay. area, you know, that's a pretty good flight or four corners. The thing about up there in the four corners is no place for fuel. So you got to plan really, really good. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, we're going to land here. You're going to take or, this Jerry can walk down to the, <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's like I had a rescue in the grand Canyon and we flew the guy to, uh, Vegas and, uh, to, cause that was the best trauma center to take him to from where we were at. And, uh, he, we had to land in Boulder city on the way to the hospital for fuel. It was like, we were on fumes, you know? So we get into some weird situations. It is some what pretty Western Western. Yeah. Well, and is, are these helicopters flying ambulances or are there pieces of kit that maybe they don't have, or are you completely like, Hey, I can handle, I can handle anything and at least triage until we get. To yeah. We're flying ambulances for the most part. Okay. We're set up differently than your typical air vac helicopter because we're technical rescue focused. Um, but we have everything that you would find on a fire truck or an ambulance, all the, all the drugs, all the narcotics, all the airway kits, the heart monitor, all that stuff we carry. And uh, with the fun added, uh, you may not be in the back of a bumpy ambulance, uh, but you are flying through the air at, I don't know, a hundred and some odd miles an hour or whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh, attempting to establish an airway on somebody. Yeah, it's fun. It's no problem. It's really no problem. <laughs> oh, man, it's just it's just wild. What? Uh, uh, let's... Going from 15 and a half years in firefighter and as a captain... And then what's what's week one, day one of, of your time at, at the rescue unit look like? I mean, you are back to being the FNG. Yeah. yeah. Uh, week one, it, it's it's really quite good. Our unit is, um, I would say, they go from, we're very laid back. A bunch of good guys who you're just expected to be motivated and know your job and learn the things that you don't know, you know. Um, so it's not like day one, week one at, as going to the fire department, you know, uh, I would say being a booter at the fire department was a lot more stressful. Um, and probably for a younger guy being a, a booter at police department is probably a lot more stressful too, depending on the culture of the agency, but air rescue is, um, everybody's just, they're beyond that to be honest. And when you show up there, it's like we hire people with experience, right? Sure. So we typically have experienced medics or exp experienced officers or experienced pilots. And so there's not a lot of the 
the new guy games, it's just like, hey, this is what we need to teach you. This is what you need to learn. Let's get after it, you know. And so it's pretty chill, but you just got to stay motivated and okay. grind through. It's like, hey, whatever you need to do, do. You know, there's no, there's no like show up with polished boots and clean the helicopter at four in the morning type stuff. It's just do your job. Do your job. That's it. Be yeah. be good at your job. Be efficient. Do, be do a team job. player. Yep. And day one, week one is it's like your job is to learn your job. So we we have a training program within Air Rescue. It's roughly sixteen weeks. And you just start grinding through it, you know. So And is it is it that crawl, walk, run, or are you doing hoist stops off of the side of a building first yeah, to no. learn, or do you just be like, hey, that's a helicopter. The spinny thing up top will fucking kill you. Don't touch it. Okay, let's go. Uh, it's it's all of that in a lot of ways. You know, crawl, walk, run, uh, with rescue operations, right? With the hoisting and we do repels and we do short hauls. So our four oh sevens we do short haul rescues and the four twenty nines have the hoist we do short or uh hoist rescues but with that stuff it's it takes a lot of training and stuff like that so um that's that's very high risk activity um so that's very much crawl walk run uh but when it comes to like flying operations and and law enforcement missions that's like drinking from a fire hose yeah a lot of times you know (laughs) so it's like it just depends you know what it is but we do so many things it's kind of like, here we go. Right. You know? So, but yeah, we're we put, you know, it's kind of a comfort based thing and, and a training based thing. But a lot of the stuff we do, you know, we're bringing in guys who are already trained to do a lot of it. We're just adding the helicopter aspect into it, the aviation. Just aspect. that small little, small detail. Small detail. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about short hauls and hoist, uh, uh, help me understand that a little bit. More. Sure. So, Short haul is, uh, you know, we put a, you know, 7,500, 150 foot long line that's attached to a um, hard point on the helicopter. And um, the pilot with a medic as a spotter will come and just basically dangling this long rope like a fishing line. You know, they'll they'll give you the end of it and you're going to clip into it and they just pick you up and carry you. You're just hanging on the bottom. And then they'll go, I, I feel like I see those a lot. Uh, again, to those of you not in Arizona, I apologize, but I'm going off of geographically what I see. Over he, uh, over here with the superstitions, I feel like I see the short hauls because they just pick them off the mountain and come yep. down to the parking lot. So we've done tons of short hauls there. Now, more commonly, we're doing hoists there. Uh, okay. That's just the evolution of air rescue, right? Uh, industry, industry standard now is hoists. Um, but a lot of agencies out there still short haul. We still short haul. Um, but we, we are getting away from it too, as we get new aircraft. But, um, yeah, so it short hauling is awesome. It's a blast hanging under the helicopter and just like flying through the just air. Just along for the ride. Like freaking Peter Pan or something. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's fun. It's a good time. Um, so yeah, that's the short haul. And then they just lower you down, you know, wherever you need to be and you come disconnect and, and then, uh, the helicopter will land somewhere else, uh, with, with the hoist, man, so much better, so much faster. You know, it's get overhead, hook, hook comes down, clip on, pulls you right in, and off you go, wherever you need to be. And what what necessitates? I know you say more and more moving towards hoisting, but what necessitates like a, a call between one or the other? Yeah, so typically, um, it's what's available. 
that's that's the only difference. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we'd rather have a hoist than a short haul. So it's but you know short hauling's cheaper. Um, you can do it with a smaller helicopter. Um, it it's a more dangerous operation in that it um, just the way the systems are built and things like that. Um, it's takes a lot longer. So if you have a patient who's critical, they're they're going to be waiting longer. Sure. Um, and then it's harder to start treating that patient too, because you literally, it's very hard to do anything with the patient until the rescue's done. So you're either delaying the rescue or you're delaying care with a, sh- with a short haul with the, with a hoist is so fast. When we get overhead, my partner lowers me down on the hook. I do a quick assessment, package my patient and they pull us right back in the helicopter straight to the hospital. So there's no landing to reconfigure before you can put the patient in the helicopter and stuff like that. And are you going down with, with like a medic bag or are you going down and just being like, yeah, that's a femur sticking out of your leg. All right, get in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends. It just depends. But yeah, we'll go down with uh, whatever equipment we need. For, for example, I mean, we'll go down with nothing based off what information we have. If we think, um, well, not nothing. We always have some kind of device for the patient, of course. Uh, but a very basic device uh, we call um, a pep bag or yeah, that's for like a patient on a stretcher or on a backboard. Uh, we have one called an AVED. That's for ambulatory victims um, or a screamer seat and AVED are the same thing. Um, they're kind of nicknames, but real basic uh, device for getting somebody out. So we'll go down with that and like a tagline typically. That's like our the minimum loadout, say just for like your basic rescue where, you know, we just had a rescue up in Sedona up on the spire where the rescue specialist who went in had um, not just gear from our unit, but had to source gear from like technical rescue teams. Like, and I'm talking like rock chipping hammers and, Oh damn. And ropes, extra rope systems and descenders and things like this. So it just depends on the uh, level of the rescue. We could be inserted with a ton. Or you might just go in with nothing and say, assess the scene. And then, sure. and then we'll send the equipment that you need down, you know, on the hook. Will, will there ever be a situation where both of the medics are getting out of the helicopter? Um, if we have a landing zone, okay, then yes. So if the if it's staying airborne, then it's just one of y'all's going down. Correct. Okay. And we've even had times where we've had to stick a medic in and because of the conditions, we're unable to do the rescue and have left the medic behind overnight camping with the victims until a rescue operation could be put into play in the daylight or something like that. That's where you're like, here, I have the space blanket in my pocket. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's insane. Try our chief paramedic, our chief paramedic today. um, He got put in on a helicopter crash at the Grand Canyon. And spent the night with three dead and five critical. Oh man! Until a rescue operation could happen in daylight. So, and, and what I mean is it is it that it was dark outside, or is it that the weather conditions were shit? What was yeah. it that necessitated leaving him? So it was it was dark. So we don't short haul in the dark. Um, yeah, you don't want to pinball somebody off the side of a canyon right. wall. That makes sense. We do hoist in the dark, but we didn't have a hoist aircraft at the time. So. Um, got put in uh, we can do hover ingress egress and confined space work with the helicopter in the dark so that's enough to get them in and start working and then it was kind of like all right man um, i'm gonna fly up out of the grand canyon and 
get some comms and start getting some resources coming. So that particular call, call I mean, they had um, Air Force responded, I think the Guard, um, and even MCAS, MCAS Yuma, I, I believe, responded on that one at some point. But it was um, it was quite the operation, you know, but sometimes you just do what you got to do. Yeah. So. Well, and, and on that, you know, do what you got to do. Tell us about a time where where you were going to get roped in or, or get into a situation and, and you're, you and your crew are just sitting there wondering how the hell you're going to pull this off. <laughs> well, um, you're like, that's daily. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get a lot of that, you know, or we always, you know, we try to do a good risk versus benefit analysis um, for every call. But when, when we're, um, calculating all that it's different for us because the lack of resources that we have a lot of times we're in the middle of nowhere and it's just you know two medics and a pilot Mm -hmm. and it's like do what you gotta do what you can do and and it's kind of like can we go get more resources yes does the victim have time for us to get more resources no you know so it's like how much risk are we willing to take you know to save a life right and it's kind of like Going back to, you know, you risk a lot to save a lot, but yep. we're not going to risk our lives for something that's not savable. Um, we try to think like that. Um, but we do tend to do things that are, you know, in the city would be considered more risky because there's, it's the only option. So, and that's what we do. That's why we're a specialty unit. So getting back to your question, uh, one of the stories I like to share, this is my first rescue solo okay so our 407s are the smaller helicopters we typically only staff them with one medic and a pilot and then the 429s we staffed with two medics and a pilot so we get called to the grand canyon for a guy who fell uh and he had one other person with him who left him to go get help and we had approximate we had the trail that they were that, that they were on and an approximate coordinate so we got out there in the dark on night vision goggles and we're flying in the Grand Canyon. And so this is my first time on a rescue in the Canyon. It's my first time doing a lot of this stuff. Now I'm already trained up and everything. Don't get me wrong, but I had a lot of firsts in this call. So, and this was my very first like rescue solo, you know? So um, we ended up finding the guy because he came to, he was unconscious. His, I'll give you a little um, backstory in a minute. Uh, but his buddy who left him behind basically said, hey, my buddy fell. I climbed down to him. He's unconscious. I think he's dead. Um, but I left like a jacket and a light with him. So we're searching for this guy. We're thinking we're looking for a dead guy. We see this little tiny light. Right, which when you're on night vision goggles in the Grand Canyon, it, it looks like um, if you take your goggles off, just like you're in outer space type of thing. So you're, we see this little light through the night vision goggles. Like, hey, that looks weird. Let's go check that out. We see this guy, and he's hiking between like two cliff bands. Um, we're like, okay, well, we should try to rescue this guy because he's gonna die. And but we, we hadn't we didn't think that that was our victim. Right. You thought you just stumbled upon it. Uh, somebody uh, else. Who needed somebody help. who got off trail. Right. So we're like, you know, we're kind of thinking like the chances of us finding this guy are pretty small. So let's see if we can help this guy because this seems pretty imminent. So once we decided we were going to go after this guy, 
then the next challenge was how are we going to get me to him? Right. So one of the operations that we do is called hover ingress egress, or we can do one skids and tow in. So the difference between those are say on the side of a steep mountain, there's a rock sticking out and there's enough room that you can squeeze the helicopter between trees and stuff where you'll just hover right over that rock and the medical jump out, or you can put the toe of the skid on it and you'll climb out on the skid and you'll shimmy down the skid and jump on the rock or, or you'll do a one skid where you just put the middle of the skid onto the rock and you just climb off. So it's all kind of the same operation. So we decide, all right, we're going to put you in on a one skid and we need to find a place for you to do it. And then my pilot is going to take off and then he's going to kind of guide me to the guy over the radio. So, there was this spot where the canyon made a bend and it made this point come out on this on this uh, large cliff face. So, it, okay, that looks like a good spot. So we're coming in real slow. I'm spotting the pilot. As we get in closer and closer, like, hey, man, this, this ledge looks big, bigger than we thought. I mean, you might be able to land on this thing, you know? My pilot's like, yeah, you know, let's try it <laughs> type of thing. So long story short, we end up landing on this ledge. You know, the tail of the helicopter's out like over a 500-foot cliff. The main rotor is a couple feet off the ground, you know, on one side where the train starts to rise. And it's like, okay, cool, let's do this, you know. And uh, since we were able to land, my pilot's like, I'm just going to hang out here, you know. And he's not, the other thing is for him to be able to land in that spot again without a spotter would be probably not a smart thing to try and attempt that. Sure. So I grab my medic bag and, you know, crawl under the rotor and, off I go, you know? So I'm, I'm, I got my lights and everything and I'm yelling for this guy and he ends up being on a little ledge above me. So I can hear him. I yell up to him. Guy pokes his head over the ledge. I put my flashlight on him. Dude looks like a scab just covered in dry blood, dirt, you know? And he says, he's like, Hey man, I can't make it much more. I think I'm going to collapse. I said, Hey, just dangle your feet down to me. Like, I put your feet down. I climb on this rock. I like pin his legs against the rock and use the friction to slowly bring him down mm -hmm. and kind of grab him. And I said, just, you know, try and hold on around my neck and my bag. And I'm trying to carry as much of his weight. He's, he's like limping really bad. So he, he's kind of stumbling. I'm trying to carry most of his weight. And I called my pilot on the radio and I said, Hey man, this is our fucking guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's exactly what I said over the radio. It was hilarious. But, uh, what I had told the dude, I said, um, hey, man, we're looking for a guy who fell. I assume that's you. And he's like, yeah. Okay, so get him in the helicopter and start stripping all his clothes off and doing my assessment. I'm kind of assessing his mental status and get through all the questions and start just kind of saying, so what do you do for work? Where are you from type of thing? And he's like, I'm in the Navy. And I said, oh, what do you do in the Navy? And he's like, I'm a SEAL. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. So that upped the the pressure a little bit, you know, because I'm like, you know, the I got a, a few friends who were in, you know, special operations in, in the military. So, you know, those guys hold a special place in my heart and probably sure. for a lot of us. So it was kind of like, damn, you know, like I can't believe like this dude's like in my care, you know, and it's it's unique for us because I now I have a critical patient and I'm it. I don't have an engine crew. I don't have a partner on an ambulance. I'm it. It's me and my pilot. So, you know, it was like, 
let's start getting this dude packaged up, you know, and get him out of here. And my pilot's like, we should take him to Flagstaff because it's the closest trauma center. And I'm like, hell no, we're not taking this dude to Flagstaff because, you know, they're a great hospital. But I'm like, if he's got an internal head injury or something like that going on, they're going to ship him out. Yeah. If he needs like some kind of major brain surgery, they're going to ship him out. I'm like, let's just take him, you know, fly five, 10 minutes farther. And we'll get him where he, where they're not going to ship him out. So that was when I mentioned earlier where we landed in Boulder city for fuel, you know, <laughs> which was kind of like one of those things you have to do what you got to do. Yeah. And, um, that was against policy, you know, just that type of fueling with, with a patient on board and stuff like that. But it was like, it was either we're going to, we we're going to be carrying jerry cans up to the roof of the hospital yeah. to leave. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> take know? the paper on this one. If you guys are going to write <laughs> yeah. me up for it. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was pretty wild. Um, it's, 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 it was interesting. I remember being in the thought process. Cause like, you know, typically as soon as you find your trauma victim, it's like, all right, let me secure your C-spine and, um, put a collar on your neck and we got to put you on a backboard. It's like, you can't do that there. No, this is like, you got to get this guy to the aircraft. Like you're it, you know? So it was pretty wild. The guy ended up having uh, both lungs were collapsed. Oh shit! Broken leg, broken arm, shattered scapula. Um, you know, several you know fractures in his back. Not nothing major, but you know, um, he he was he was jacked up. He got sixty stitches in his head, type of thing. You know, um, so that's probably that was that was one of those stories. Yeah, and there's there's been several. I mean, it happened like stuff we do. I'm telling you, man, it's like, you'd be like, what in the world? <laughs> just sit there not, not quite entirely sure how to process what you just told me. <laughs> I know. I mean, the, the rescue that happened the other day, which I wasn't on, but you know, luckily for the, everybody involved, we had the two most experienced air rescue guys, probably in the state of Arizona by far the two number one and number two were on that rescue. And it's like, I'm, I'm watching the videos of it. My last shift going, okay, what would I have done if I was on this? You know, what would I have done? And they did a phenomenal job, man. I was just like, these are the, these are the guys that Arizona has and I have to learn from. You right. Know? So. Well, and, and it, you know, you, you talk about experience. I would say that, uh, that dude that you picked out of the Canyon, man, if he hadn't been a seal, I mean, they're, they're known for their mental toughness he, he would have been and whatnot. Dead. He would have been fucking dead. hundred percent. He would have been dead. Has that dude at all ever tried to reach out to you? Or yeah, contact man, you? We, yeah. We, so funny story. I, since I was in Kingman, I got off ship the next morning and I drove to Vegas. So I was, I was on a day on day off day on at the time I was living in Mesa. So when I have ships like that, I wasn't driving back to Mesa. Right. I stay up there. So I'm like, I'm gonna go up to Vegas, see what's up with the dude. So I went to the hospital, walked in, his parents were already there. They'd flown in from Dallas, Texas. Met his mom, gave me a huge hug. You know, that was pretty wild. She collapsed on me. She's crying, you know. So I said, hey, where's he at? She's like, oh, he's right over here. Walk around the corner. He's got half his head shaved, stitches in his oh, head. Oh, Jesus, looking like Frankenstein's yeah. monster. <laughs> but he wouldn't let him shave his whole head. He's growing his hair and stuff out for because he had a deployment coming up. So I said, hey, man, what's the damage? And he goes, they shaved my fucking head. <laughs> His biggest concern. <laughs> they shaved your head. And they all shaved half of it. He wouldn't let them shave the whole thing. It was funny. So I was like, yeah, I see that. So uh, anyway, 
we uh we got chatting and then um we we kept in touch for quite i haven't talked to him in a while but i have no doubt in my mind if i messaged him but he ended up sending my pilot and i both uh seal seal team seven shirts and coins oh right on that's cool pretty badass and then uh yeah it was crazy as uh the Navy came and picked them up in a Blackhawk the next day and flew them back to San Diego. He got, uh, you know, I talked to him on like Christmas Eve of 2019, uh, right before he went to surgery to get his scapula rebuilt. And um, he was keeping me updated. And then he ended up deploying in uh, like by March or May. Damn. It was probably May. It's one of the two M months. But he, he deployed quickly for the amount of injuries he had. So dude's a badass. But uh, that was a that was pretty wild. Well, and in in terms of, uh, I mean, recruiting and marketing to your own position, I would say that, like for me as a, I'm a sex crimes detective, and the feeling of, hey, I did some fucking good. It, it can be kind of rare because not all of our cases get to that point, but if they do, it's after months and months and months and months and months of work of just dragging you know headlong through detective work slogging through search warrants and interviews grinding. and grinding um you get that pretty quick we do that's got to be a, that's got to be nice but as far as like a there's there's got to be a sense of like fuck yeah it there is i mean it's it's really cool man um we get a lot of that immediate gratification is that just the nature of what we do you know um, we do a lot of rescues, man. A lot. It's cool. Cause we're, um, we're kind of like the humanitarian side of the law enforcement. Sure. Right. And in times like these, uh, it's, it's kind of like something that everybody can appreciate. I think no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on or how you view police, um, it's kind of fun being part of a small group that generally is, there for the humanitarian side, right? Like it doesn't matter what your political views are on the border. We're rescuing people who are migrants, migrants, right? Um, We're like the coast guard in the desert, you know, and we're rescuing them and we're helping them. We don't, you know, we don't, we're there as professionals. We're there, you know, for life. doesn't matter where the life is from. Um, And it doesn't matter what the life did. Uh, For example, um, our crew got called out on a, a shooting DPS shooting. Uh, they took out a guy who was intentionally trying to go head on in a semi truck. Oh geez. On I 40. So he's trying to kill people. Uh, we ended up shooting him. There was windshield, not, uh, one of the troopers did and the guy lived. So we land a helicopter and we take care of the guy, you know, save the guy's life. Um, doesn't matter that he's a shit bag, right? That's not our job in that moment to determine that our job is to save a life. Right. And that's what we do. It's, it's kind of cool. You know, I, it's fun and you know, it's fun. It's rewarding. And it's, it's like, it's, it's fun because it's atypical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're not, uh, I mean, it's kind of like my, my wife, when I talk to her about like, you know, it, it, it sucks to have all these people, uh, and it's not all, I shouldn't say all these people. It's, it, it's the, the loudest, smallest Correct. subset of the population Correct. who's like doing the fuck the police thing. Right. 
and my wife sits there and she's like, they're not, they're not talking about you. Like you investigate like child sex crimes and adult sex crimes. And, and, and she would probably look at you and be like, they're not talking about you, Mike. They're talking, you know, cause you're out there, like you said it, you don't, your job, right. Based on your, uh, you know, your, your oath, right. That Hippocratic oath, uh, it, it, you don't give a fuck where these people came from, who they are, what they did there. There is need to preserve life in that moment. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yep. And there's, uh, there is absolutely uh, a lot to, uh, to be said for that. What, um, I mean, I think that you get to, you get people like me who are sitting across from you going like, yeah, all right. So, uh, do you have an application or how, so what is the, <laughs> what does the process look like? If you got somebody who you said DPS wants laterals, if you got somebody right now who's listening to this, like, holy shit, that is what I need to do for the rest of my life. And DPS is really, I mean, not the only one in the game, but probably the best one of the game. Um, what does that process look? I mean, are you looking, Hey, yeah, dude, you want to be a lateral? Cool. You need to put yourself through medic school. That's that it. pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Put yourself to paramedic school. Um, the best thing you can do. I mean, I would say for a, a, a law enforcement officer, if you're not a medic, become a medic and it's a grind. It, it's, it's like, you're looking at two years of school if you got, if you're not an EMT yet. Yeah, for those of you who, uh, when I was going through EMT school, uh, a lot of us were looking at going to medic school thereafter, which is uh, a lot more expensive than EMT school. And fun fact, medic school carries a divorce rate. So <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> just to give everybody uh, listening kind of the the stance of what you might be walking into. But as you said, I mean, you're looking at two years of school if you're not an EMT yet. Yep. Um, you still got to go through the whole lateral process. There's yep. still an FTO component. Correct. And there are not any guarantees that you're going to end up on air rescue. No guarantees. Now you could theoretically, if we're, so I mentioned earlier, we just hired two civilian medics. We got two more that are in background right now, I believe. And, um, I don't know if we're going to do that again. This is the first time ever that we've hired civilian medics. Um, it's because of staffing needs, right? We don't have, we don't. We have some medics in the trooper ranks right now that are trying to come to air rescue. If we took all of them, we don't have enough, right? Um, then it's like, well, so what? Do we now we got to train up more troopers. It takes two years to get them to a medic. We need people before then. Yeah, like we have people retiring. We're just short staffed. But then it's like getting people from the ranks is tough too because every, like I mentioned, every unit is short staffed. Highway patrol severely short staffed. Every everybody is. So getting, being able to move people around is tough too, you know, um, everybody's spread thin. So we're, we decided, you know, to hire civilian medics and, um, hopefully those civilian medics will want to go through the Academy at some point, but they'll already belong to air rescue. So it'll be like, Hey, go to the Academy so you can become a TFO and stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, you're going to take your five months, go get paid to work out, get yelled at for five months. And then you just come right back to the helicopter. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, although it'll be seven months for DPS because we're oh god, it's we're getting, it's two months longer. Long. <laughs> we're, we're two months longer because of state trooper school. So you do oh, you do okay, your Arizona, gotcha. right? Your Arizona law enforcement, and then you add on state trooper stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a grind. But you know, I'm telling you, I I think personally in public safety, I think it's the best job in the state between all uh, fire and uh, law enforcement, EMS. It's, yeah. It's, it's really cool. So it's very unique. It's a small unit, but there are opportunities for the motivated. I will say that 
you know, the harder it is to get a job, the more likelihood that a motivated person is going to get it right. because so many people will fall out in the process. So I tell that to people all the time, but it, it takes a lot to get it. So you got to be, you know, you got to have a realistic head, you mm-hmm. know, good attitude. And I can lay out the pathway for anybody, you know, um, no guarantees, but there's, there's a, you can either lateral to DPS and go to paramedic school as a trooper or you can go to paramedic school where you're at. Either way is going to be hard, um, you know. But uh, I would th- think that, that would be the place to start. <laughs> I, I would think that, uh, and I don't know how every state works, but in Arizona, you can leave an agency and still retain your search for like two years or something like that, or three. And I feel like if you played your cards right and you were smart financially, that the decision... A, a way through would be to leave your current agency, get yourself through EMT and medic school, and then put in for a, as a lateral. Yeah. Because you still have your post certifications. And I imagine that most every state, uh, you know, has, has something similar to that. But that's just something that, that occurred to me kind of as I'm sitting here thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's ways you could do it for sure. And like I said, I mean, it's like we have, we need so many people right now in air rescue. Now, do we have the positions for them? No, not necessarily, but we're trying right. to get the positions. It's, um, and as we do get the positions, we're going to be hiring people and we're going to, you know, we're going to, there's going to be opportunities and uh, there's people leaving. You know, we have a lot of people in drop in air rescue and several eligible for retirement. So the positions will be there. And if anybody hears this is already a medic, you know, and you're thinking about it, Send me a message. Yeah. Well, and how let's, uh, uh, you are, uh, helicopter trunk monkeys on IG, yeah. right? So <laughs> yeah. that's hit up Mike on Instagram and helicopter and trunk monkeys. Yeah. Underscores in between underscores in between. Th- that's like, I, you know, people always ask me that it came from, uh, do you ever remember those trunk monkey commercials? Oh yeah. Where the, uh, <laughs> the driver would hit the trunk monkey button and the monkey would, would get out and do yeah. whatever. <laughs> so where I was like, man, we're like trunk monkeys for our pilot. They just roll up, hit the button, out jumps the medic. (laughs) Yeah, hits the button, out jumps the medic. We go do the rescue or we go do whatever and then come back, you know, to the helicopter. It's like we're we're the trunk monkey. So it was was supposed to be uh, always like representing the the crew members of the helicopters, you know, just kind of a fun thing. And I would imagine if you're a... uh, If you're a Coast Guard rescue swimmer or a Navy rescue swimmer or an Air Force PJ and you're getting out, maybe hit up Mike. Yeah, they're... Yeah, I did the, uh, I was on the dust off medic podcast. Okay. Specifically talking about like for pathways for guys coming from the military. Um, cause like I was in the Academy with a dude who'd been an army helicopter pilot and he was going to Phoenix with a goal of becoming a helicopter pilot. But I don't, I don't even think he's a cop anymore. I lost touch with him. Yeah, uh, if he had enough hours, he could have come straight to a pilot position DPS. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, something that I think is a little bit, again, a more unique you know, part, yeah. part of part of this is not only talking about the badass work that you do, but I also want you to be able to sell your agency, right? Because yeah. staffing levels right now, uh, I mean, as a uh, I'm, I'm a part of our, our association, uh, hashtag don't say union. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the conclusion that that we keep coming to is that it's not staffing for law enforcement isn't something you just keep throwing money at and throwing money at. You could throw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars at people people just don't want to be fucking cops right now. Right. And, and those people that do want to be police officers, 
there are so few of them in the grand scheme of things, right? It's like less than less than 1% of the U.S. population is even eligible to be a police officer uh, based on the, the, the requirements, the needs, the background process, all that good stuff. Um, and then you have every agency is understaffed because of all the retirements, all the big, the big, the big hiring boom after 9-11 or, you know, around the early 2000s. All those people had 20-year retirement programs as opposed to 25 and a lot of them are either in, if you have, if you're in Arizona, you're, you, you know, you're in drop or you're eligible for retirement and people are leaving. And that, that core group of new individuals that wants to be a police officer is getting recruited or is looking at every single agency. And yeah, part of it might be like, cool, how much are they offering per hour? But other stuff is going to be these specialties, right? Yeah. You want to be a fucking helicopter medic or a helicopter pilot. Well, okay, that's going to knock out what ninety three or ninety five percent of all law enforcement agencies in the state of Arizona, right? <laughs> yeah, You're in, like in the country, in the country, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, there are uh, like, well, let's just let's talk with Arizona. You can go Phoenix, Mesa, DPS, or one of the county agencies: Maricopa, Pima, and Pinal, and Pinal. So three of the county and agencies. Tucson PD, and Tucson PD. That's it uh, for helicopters. As far as rescue work, Pinal, Maricopa, us. And uh, Phoenix PD slash fire department. Right. That's it. For rescue work on a helicopter. And out and of a hundred, we'll just round, I'm going to round off and say a hundred law enforcement agencies in the state of Arizona. There's four options. Right. So that when you get the, the folks that are looking at becoming cops and then they're looking at, okay, we, we do, we need the people. I remember I asked a buddy of mine, I'm like, Hey man, what do you want to do after patrol? And he looked at me, he was like, this is it, dude. This is, I became a cop to be, to be a patrol cop. Fucking more power to him, right? I always wanted to be a detective, although I sit here now kind of wanting to be a helicopter medic, but that's, that, you know, it, it is <laughs> it's what it never is. Too that's, late. It's, that's the effect that people have. Um, or you get guys that, uh, and I say guys, you get, you get people who are like, no, I want to go on SWAT. Okay, well, then they're going to start looking at what agencies have a full time SWAT team versus a part time team, or like, hey, I want to be a motor. I want to be this, that, the other thing. So, um, I forgot where I was going with the whole staffing roundabout. Basically, just if you're looking in, into it, a really interesting career. Like, understand that law enforcement is more than just what you see on cops. Like, that is the biggest component of it. Patrol is the backbone of police work. Um, and I would never, ever speak disparagingly about patrol. I value my patrol time. Uh, I, I miss the road. Um, but you can do so much more in this career, you just got to find the place that's right for you. Right. Yeah. Not every agency is going to be the same. And I, I think DPS, man, I, it, I think it's an awesome agency. You know, come from the fire department. I, I just think it's so cool, man. We have so much cool stuff to do. And, uh, by the way, working in highway patrol, I could not believe how much fun it was. And, uh, I don't know. I couldn't say enough good things about it. You know, every place has, their issues doesn't matter if you work at Taco Bell, or McDonald's. Everyone's going to complain about something, but um, DPS is awesome. You know, we got really, really good people across the board. Uh, a lot of good opportunities, and I don't know. I don't know what else good things I could say, but I just I, I really love the agency. So I don't know that I've ever met a uh, a state trooper who did not enjoy being a state trooper. Yeah. That's, that's the that, thing. Is, not, and that's God's honest truth. Like it's just true. never come up in conversation. We, we all love being a state trooper. Our complaints come from, you know, 
uh, for a long time, it was like, we haven't had, you know, the agency didn't get raises for, you know, 16 years or right, something. Right. And you're watching all these other agencies and that's demoralizing. Right. But the job itself is awesome. It's awesome. Um, it's just, it's unique. You know, you're not stuck to the radio all the time, just going from call to call. It's a lot of times you're, you're making up your own day as you go. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good gig. I, I, uh, highly encourage anybody who's thinking about it to just throw in an app, you know, and see what happens. You don't have to say yes, but it's worth a shot. You know, it's worth looking into. It's a, it's a good agency. Yeah. So. Well, and, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I've been over 100 miles an hour one time on a freeway en route to a kidnapping, uh, like a kidnapping in progress, which spoiler alert was not a kidnapping in progress <laughs> because that's just the way our, our lives work. Uh, whereas if you do like driving fast, I don't know that state troopers uh, have any other speed, but no, no, like, uh, like you usually, you know, you're, you're running interdiction on the I 10 or you're trying to get to a fucking three vehicle rollover. You got to get there. You got to get there safely. You got to get there quickly. Yeah. And our areas are big. Yeah. yeah. We get, you know, it's like we cover large areas. We, we cover the faster speed limit uh, roadways, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean, we like to go fast. We we got grapplers, and we can do pit maneuvers, and we got motors, and we got detectives. We got it all. Yeah. Got it all, whatever yeah. you want. A little bit of, uh, little bit of, <laughs> uh, of everything, man. Well, the, the air rescue thing is, is has it. It's always been intriguing to me, right? You see like the, the, the fucking Coast Guard movies or, you know, the you watch the YouTube videos or, or anything like that. Um, before we kind of close out, we've talked uh, a little bit here and there about, uh, you know, hey, maybe patrol guys like me when I when I was on the road had like this unrealistic expectation of what happens when the helicopter gets on scene. And I think that for certain agencies, mine included, that has like spurred the use of uh, like small unmanned aerial systems, right? The, the SUAS or the, the drones and the DJI yeah. Mavics and whatnot and the, the Matrice pro platforms. Um, and while those are good for immediate short-term surveillance uh, and you can put FLIR and night vision on them, you can put flashlights on them. Um, I think that air rescue is unique in that you're probably never going to just have a drone drop a cable down to somebody in the grand Canyon and hoist them out. Right? <laughs> no, like yeah. the, you're not going anywhere. It's, all it's going to take is for one person to click hook onto the drone hook the wrong way and fall to their death. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I remember I, uh, I did an interview with, uh, the Tulare County, California dive supervisor. And I was asking him if unmanned aerial or unmanned underwater vehicles were going to, uh, lessen the impact of rescue and recovery divers because if you can send a little rover down to go and locate a body in a car well then you don't have to put a person in that position and uh his counter was right but you still have to get the person out of the car right their their loved ones still would like to have you know, have some closure <laughs> exactly. for that you you can use a uav i'm sure eventually we will get wonderful these, tools yeah we yeah. you know although I don't know that the American public wants a fucking global Hawk flying over their community with police written on the side of it. Right. But like uh, you can get those same companies North of Grumman and Boeing can, I'm sure can produce these aircraft that are unmanned that can do. Oh yeah, they already are. And, 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 and throw them into a law enforcement capacity as far as like 
searching goes, but they don't really do the and rescue very well. Correct. Yeah. But do you think that before the end of your career, you're going to walk into the hangar and next to your flying ambulance is going to be one of these like unmanned helicopters that you guys just use to like handle immediate, like immediate law enforcement needs. Cool. I, I don't get spun up in the middle of the night is me getting the aircraft out on the flight line and then going back inside, sitting down and flying this to go and help the state troopers track somebody through a neighborhood. I have no doubt that that is going to be somewhere, you know, I mean, I don't see why not, you know, you get like a, a legit drone that can stay in the air for hours. Right. And a guy can sit in an office and drive it. And he's doing the same thing as a typical law enforcement helicopter. Um, the, the one caveat to that is, is like, how much could you miss? Because there's no peripheral vision right on a drone. Your right? view is the camera lens. Correct. Right. So I don't know. They might try that. Someone's going to try it. I don't think it'll be as effective and cost wise. I doubt it'll be cheaper. <laughs> you know what I well, mean? Well, yeah, you still have to know how to fly a helicopter, right? You still have to be a helicopter pilot. You still have to be a pilot. Then the systems, man, the system's got to be ridiculous, you know, but I, I don't know. I don't know anything about it, to be honest, just the basics. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't have any great knowledge of it. It's just an intriguing thought as we sit there. And I, I think for a spe- specific target, it'd probably be great. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, like, when we go on a search, guys are always like, hey, do you guys have flair? Yeah. I hate when people ask if we have flair. You have flair? Yeah. Oh, We've had flair on helicopters since, like, 1986. Yeah, I also have <laughs> x-ray vision like Superman. That's going to be awesome. No, it's like the, the best is, like, you go out at, like, a summer night. It's 98 degrees, you know, 100 degrees. You guys have flair? Yeah. What do you want us to find? Yeah. A body that's also 98 degrees. Yeah, it, like, it's all the it same. It differentiates <laughs> temperature. You know, it's like if it's the same temperature, it's virtually invisible. You know, it's like it's not the it's not the end all. It's a great tool, really great tool. Um, but you know, we we do night vision goggle searches, which are awesome. Find a weird light where it's not supposed to be. Right. You know. Some dude hiding in the forest decides to check his cell phone. Hey, what was that? There's all kinds of stuff, but yeah, it, it, a lot of people get tunnel visioned on these technologies. Sure, sure. And well, as as somebody who's been on a patrol perimeter on an active shooter, uh, who he was making a concerted effort to kill as many police officers as he could, and he failed. He didn't kill any of us. Uh, jokes on you, fucker. Uh, but uh, uh, the helicopter, it was like. You know, you see the videos out of uh, Afghanistan or Iraq. I think it was like Gulf War One, where like entire battalions are surrendering to one Apache uh, of like these these Iraqi Republican troops are like, oh shit, that looks like it can kill me. This dude, <laughs> this dude was uh, didn't give a fuck that we had like ninety three officers, like detectives were coming in on their, they were just getting woken up. Oh, you're not gonna fucking believe what's happening, and so all these people were crowding into our city to try and just lock this guy down in one area. And here comes Ghetto Bird, and the dude looked at Ghetto Bird and went. Yeah, well, I'm done. It was like three <laughs> three hours of us getting shot at, and he finally was like, "No, I'm good. I'll I'll surrender now. The helicopter will always find me." It's the modern dragon. Oh, I like that. That should yeah. be on a fucking t-shirt. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Brotalian, are you listening? Brotalian helicopter trunk <laughs> monkey, the modern dragon. I like <laughs> yeah. it. The monkey dragon. <laughs> the monkey dragon. <laughs> that is a bumper sticker, and uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, I just ride. I, you got to include the pilot in there somewhere. He's the dragon driver. There you go. 
I like it. The dragon dress. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, are an aviation <laughs> apparel or merch company, hit up Mike for uh, ideas. Uh, he operates on contract. <laughs> you can retain him for 40, 45,000 a year, 55,000 a year. It's, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's 56, $56,99, $56,999. I like it. Um, if it's cool enough, I might pay you. You never know. Oh, hey, there you go, man. <laughs> um, we, we do love our niche, uh, our niche merch, uh, you know, shirts and stickers. Uh, shout out to uh, Sin Eaters Guild out of uh, England. I'm wearing one of your T-shirts. Uh, I wasn't willing to pay uh, outrageous shipping fees, and that's not on you as, as a company. That's just the nature of trying to order something from a foreign country. So when I was going to England back in November, I ordered it and had it shipped to my cousin's house because most of my family is in England. Um, we just, one of our civilian medics is... An Englishman. So I was in, I was in, uh, I was in court, not in our county. I was in Superior Court, uh, the end of December, talking to another detective, and I'm like, "Hey, man, where in England are you from?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude, we got like we've got a detective at my agency who's from England." I was like, "My partner's wife is English," and he looks at me and he goes, "Yeah, it's a slow invasion to pay you back for 1776." And I was like, <laughs> "Ah, you fucker." <laughs> Oh man, Mike, I've had a good, uh, good long conversation with you, man. I appreciate the hell out of you coming on yeah, uh, thanks the for show and, and educating people. Again, if you have any questions about the helicopter rescue world, um, uh, as niche as it may be, uh, or even I will tell you after, uh, that incident, that active shooter that we had, uh, I hit up one of the pilots for that air crew or for that, that, uh, agency. He wasn't flying that night, but I was like, Hey, we struggled with communicating with you guys. It was nothing. It was, again, 90 some odd of us trying to put everything into one incident commander who then is trying to communicate to an air crew. But like there's there's a lag there and it, we're putting information out and getting stepped on on the radio. I was like, we're, you know, hey, what's a good way for us to communicate? Are we like keep it simple, stupid with a fucking flashlight and point at the house? Do you want me to go and get an IR like beacon so I can throw it in a backyard. Like, what do you want from, from us? What makes life easy? And he, he and I had a, a really good long conversation about best practices for patrol and air crew. So I'm sure if you got a, even questions uh, from that standpoint, I bet Mike would be willing to, to try and answer some questions for you. Yep. Send them our way. Um, good way to contact us. If you guys have questions about anything, uh, aviation, law enforcement, DPS, air rescue, is uh you can you can hit me up uh helicopter trunk monkeys with underscores in between each word or our unit pages uh at azdps underscore rangers so we post a lot of content on that as well uh so either one's good and it will re- really make you uh question your career choice because you're looking at these dudes like why are you so fucking cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not that cool. We're just lucky. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's uh-huh. it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent it. So, uh, my last question to you, Mike, is that you've got a, a microphone to the world. Uh, I get people listening to this show from all over the place, man. I mean, all over the U S uh, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, I uh, got a couple listeners in parts of Africa, which I thought was pretty interesting, all over Europe, Asia, uh, Australia. What does the world need to hear from Mike? Oh, man. Let me, let me, uh, I recruited a guy and he uh, graduated the academy yesterday. So I sent him, he, he was asking me some for some advice. So I'll just, I'll just tell you guys what I told him. And I might elaborate a little bit. Use the shit between your ears. Okay. Guys have brains, use them. 
I know they don't hire the brightest crayons in the box to be cops, <laughs> but <laughs> you got a brain, so use it. Um, don't, don't let anybody uh, teach you to approach a situation like it's the worst possible scenario. That's, I believe that, you know, I got, I remember one time I got, I got pulled over by an officer. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to say what town I was going into. <laughs> I was in a, I was in a DPS vehicle undercover. Okay. <laughs> in uniform with a gun on me. And, um, he pulled me over. I was speeding rightfully. So, um, and he, 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 you know, I went, I you kind of go along with it because it's like, man, he's escalating the situation so badly. It's like, where is he going with this? You know, like I'm literally on duty, like in a vehicle with lights and sirens. And, uh, so I stopped for the guy and, uh, at the end of the whole thing, when I finally got this dude calmed down and he, he was a young cat, but I said, you know, it's like, man, bro, you got to chill. He's like, well, I, I didn't know if you might've gotten fired from your agency and, 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 and all this stuff. I said, you know, you're, you're creating a crazy idea of a situation in your head. And I think some of this comes from, you know, in our culture in law enforcement, a lot of times it's like everybody might kill you, you know? And then a lot of the guys, especially the young ones with no experience, they start approaching every situation like, you know, the minivan mom's going to kill him and stuff. It's like, that's such a rare situation. And you get caught up with things that you see on the news all the time. And, um, it might not be happening to you or your agency all the time, but it's happening to the cops everywhere. You know, it seems like it's just, it's every situation. It's like, I like the advice is like approach people with authority, with confidence and with kindness, be kind to people. Um, we're all humans. Everybody deserves respect. Um, give them as much as you can under the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Have a plan to kill everybody and be quick on the drop. But but don't treat it like it's going to go there, right? If you treat everybody like they're going to kill you, people are going to hate cops. They're going to hate us all. Um, that's my opinion. Uh, just I, I believe in treating people with just a lot of respect and kindness uh, as necessary, obviously. Um, don't get caught up in drama. You know, there's a lot of drama on our hey, job. Man, you don't have to look and any further than Tennessee right now for that shit. Be brave. There's not very many cops that are shit bags, but there's bad apples out there. You know, be brave, you know, stand up when you don't see something that's right. Stand up. You know, even if you have to stand up for a shit bag, if somebody's treating them unconstitutionally or outside of policy, just stand up for them. You know, we could get into like the George Floyd situation. That whole thing was total bullshit. That what happened to the, to all the cops involved? They over exaggerated the whole thing, and there's a lot more that went on with that that people don't ever talk about, like excited delirium and the fact that he was on drugs and stuff. However. George Floyd was in custody with handcuffs on and the, the officer standing by could have been like, Hey man, let's sit him up. Yeah. Just little things like that would have changed that whole scenario. You know, um, I tend to more, I, I believe in defending all those officers involved more so than not, but bad police works, bad police work, you know, be a human. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, you know, the best answer to most problems comes from a combination of opinions typically. You know, 
So yeah, a, a lot of my own advice to people, but uh, that's that's just what that's why I think. But again, know, I, be open minded. It's like you said, man. It's 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 your advice, but there's a reason I ask people that question on this show is because everybody brings something to the table and. If you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, I hope that you've gotten something from it. Uh, and and with uh, with the folks that have been uh, good enough to uh, to come on, uh, folks like Mike and Mike with his uh, uh, with his vast you know levels of experience of over twenty years now as a first responder, he probably knows what the hell he's talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> so listen up, uh, use the shit between your ears. I like that. I will probably steal that and put it into a bumper sticker. Yeah, it's steal. I, I'm sure I stole it from somebody, you know. <laughs> so. Well, hell, man. Uh, I think that we've covered just about uh, everything that I wanted to. I was just going over my notes real quick. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Again, hit up Mike. Uh, go find him and uh, and his crews over at uh, Helicopter Trunk Monkeys on Instagram or uh, AZDPS Rangers as well. Um, if you've certainly got any questions about police work in general, uh, you can, you can hit me up, you hit me up, hit, uh, hit up Mike. Uh, he and I have, we got different experiences in, uh, in the whole world, uh, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, different career paths. Um, there is still a vast amount of nobility that comes into this profession. Uh, when you put a badge on, there's, there's, uh, there's something to it that you cannot replicate anywhere else. Um, with the, with the opportunities that we are presented with to, uh, to actually make a difference in people's lives. So, uh, that is my spiel. I'm, I'm working, working on me getting away from, you know, negative, uh, about, uh, about the job. I don't think I've been overly critical of, of police work. Um, but, uh, it, it occurred to me, uh, this past week that, uh, the, what I can do for recruiting around, uh, around this country and I guess around the world, there's people listening everywhere is uh just get out there and talk to cops uh we're not uh we're not the big bad bastards that uh that some people might have you think about and, and uh, <laughs> right. you can have some really cool conversations with people and it might uh just change your perspective and likewise cops um especially my my new guys out there you cannot build rapport from behind a windshield uh, uh if you're uh, a city cop county even even as a state trooper there are opportunities for you to get the fuck out of your car and engage with the public and talk to them absolutely so absolutely yeah. otherwise mike's gonna show you up and you're gonna have this patrol car and he's gonna land a fucking helicopter on like a football field and he's gonna have all these kids who are like oh that's the coolest thing i've ever seen done that a couple times yeah that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. I actually flew my daughter to school. Oh, hell yeah. 9-11 ceremony. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Can't beat that, man. Uh, and and on a, uh, I don't talk about the agency that I work for, um, but on that note, I mean, Mike's crew has, uh, uh, one of the DPS crews has personally come to our rescue before with one of our officers uh, who unfortunately was killed on the line of duty, but when the ground ambulances couldn't get to him uh, due to just the the vast amount of resources that were in play, fucking Ranger sat down, picked them up and off they went to the hospital. Um, so, uh, again, I, I can't say enough good things about, uh, DPS Rangers, uh, air rescue as a whole, uh, and, uh, and Mike here sitting across from me. So, uh, uh again, thank you. Thank you. Um, and with that, I hope y'all stay safe. We'll see you on the road. Mm-hmm.